Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm David Walker, and on today's podcast, I am a little bit geeking out uh, at this potential conversation. Uh, it is not often I get to talk about football just in generalized terms, even though obviously this is going to influence uh, the talk around the Falcons, but uh, we're going to talk about roster building in the NFL. And to do this, I have asked the one and only Scott Bear of AtlantaFalcons.com to join me because he is similarly someone that geeks out over this. So Scott, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, I'm so excited about this conversation because if you think about football fandom and the football experience, there's you know 17 plus a postseason times to go out and watch your team play. And then there's every other day on the calendar <laughs> to talk about this stuff and dream and wonder and move chess pieces around in your mind. And you see good teams like the Patriots have just been in this window for 20 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you see other teams kind of ebb and flow through it. And you see some teams who never get it right. And it's part art, part science. And that's what makes it fascinating to me. I'm super pumped about this conversation. And you're right. It is going to relate to the Falcons experience because they're trying to usher in a new era of sustained success. Can they do it? Do they have the right people to do it? And can they acquire the right talent to form that young foundation and then keep uh, enriching the soil long enough to, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to continue the agriculture analogy forever, (laughs) but nonetheless to, to yield a good crop and then keep it going. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. I can't wait to jump right in. Yeah, I, uh, I do want to put the caveat out there that neither Scott nor myself are speaking for the Falcons, even okay. though I think people reach out to us and say, tell Arthur Smith this. Arthur Smith isn't taking advice from us, folks. No. Um, huh. and neither, neither is Terry Fontenot, for that matter. Um, no, this is purely not. the opinion of two guys who are not in their 30s anymore uh, and who have watched <laughs> a lot of football, a lot of bad football, frankly. Um, over the years. And that has informed our viewpoint. So Scott, to kick it off, uh, if you could summarize in your mind, what successful team building in the NFL looks like? I know that's a broad question, but what are some of the key points that you would highlight that you think are sort of the staples of what it takes to be an ongoing, you know, successful franchise that people are talking about every December? Yeah, I think it boils down to something that Arthur Smith and I agree upon why the NFL is the most fascinating American sport. And it's this, is that with the salary cap and with the draft structure, not a lottery, but a true back and forth, you know, a worst team on the top uh, draft structure, it really, everybody has the same resources. What do you do with them? Right. Mm -hmm. If everybody has the same salary cap, how do you use that money to build the 
a, a roster that can be better than everybody else's. And that's what's fascinating to me. It's not about Yankees versus the Athletics or Yankees versus the Tampa Bay Rays. One team spends a billion, the other team spends a dollar, right? And that's what is intriguing to me, right? If everybody's got the same resources, what do you do with them? So you need to use them, right? For one. And I think a couple of staples are um, that while everybody needs star power, the blue collar player, the player that only the local fans know about is as important as anything that you do. You need Mm -hmm. a really good quarterback, right? That's been evidenced. Falcons fans know how important that is. Uh, You need injury protection everywhere. And you need star power to lead you but you need support around those stars to let those stars truly shine. And the only way that you can do all those things, right, is if you draft well and build your talent base. And when it comes time that that cheap labor graduates and deserves to get paid, if you're drafting well, you're rewarding your own people. And then Mm -hmm. you're supplementing with free agency but it only works if you continue to draft well. And when you see these teams that are really good, the wheel starts moving and it gets enough momentum where it just kind of never really stops because you keep hitting on the draft. You have to make tough decisions on some fan favorites Some fans are going to have jerseys that are useless. Some will not. So then you keep some and then the drafted guys come up and then you keep going through that cycle uh, where you mess up is if you mess up your base, your, your job, you stop missing. If you start missing on third round picks, fourth round picks, start missing on those, those middle of the depth chart guys, it catches up to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, if we're going to falconize it a little bit, I think it's fate. I think it's safe to say that while there are still some good picks from the past regime, including some in the upper rounds, there have been enough misses where it's caught up to the Falcons and they weren't able to keep that wheel rolling. And that's why they've fallen off a little bit. That's why there's a new regime here to try to build that back up. But that's what I think the core staples are. Good quarterback, injury protection, continually drafting well, and finding the money required, the financial flexibility required, I'm adding this one, to go out and pay a veteran free agent, but pay them all up front. So then you don't run into this trouble with the cap down the road yeah. when you have to keep pushing money into the future. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I think you hit on all the, the, the strong notes, especially the draft. And, you know, we've, we've got a few months before true draft season gets here. Free agency will get here first in, in March um, in the draft of course, end of April. Um, but what you said about the draft, I think about the teams like Baltimore, um, with all-time great Ozzie Newsom at GM. And, and I bring that up because Terry Fontenot has actually uh, brought his name up specifically as a GM that he wanted to emulate, uh, who consistently went BPA, best player available. Um, and obviously, there's, there's multiple philosophies here uh, when it comes to the draft. Uh, obviously, best player available, you hear that all the time. I don't know if teams truly stick to that or not. There, some people sort of go with a hybrid best player at key positions. Um, and then you see some teams, and I think I would argue that uh, former Falcons GM Thomas Dimitrov was more about a needs-based draft philosophy. You need a pass rusher, you draft a pass rusher. Um, you need a wide receiver, you draft a wide receiver. Uh, the noted exception to that was when they took Calvin Ridley sort of by surprise uh, a few years ago and sort of went with the best player available. Um, where do you fall in that draft spectrum when it comes to 
trying to fill needs on the roster, but also trying to make sure you keep the talent level up, even if that means drafting in a position where you don't necessarily foresee a need or a position of weakness there. Yeah, I think you hear from scouts all the time across teams or philosophies that you need to trust the draft board that you've created, that you've spent 10 months creating. And at some point that, and you take the best player on your board. I just, I I answer questions about this in the mailbag all the time where Mm -hmm. people will say, well, best player available. But what if you just drafted a quarterback the year before? Okay. Well, there's exceptions, right? Sure. You're not going to draft a kicker or a punter in the first round, even if they're the second coming of, you know, Morton Anderson or Ray guy or Matt Bryant, <laughs> joking, uh, but uh, that you're not going to do that. And you're going to weigh premium positions over non-premium positions, right? And you're going to weigh the depth of the class over. So there, we can say all those types of things, right? But I think the bottom line is that you, you automatically draft for, you automatically take the best player available in two scenarios. One, the scenario when you're the Falcons right now, there's too many needs to be able to strictly laser focus on one. And there are too many premium positions of need to laser focus. As I keep saying, screaming from the mountaintops, they need edge rushers, plural with an S, right? That you can't just say, we'll take the best edge rusher because the Raiders did that uh, when they had three first round picks. And number four, they were determined to take the best four, three defensive end on the board at that time. And their board said that was Cleveland Furl. Mm. That worked out. It did not. Okay. So that's where you can fall into traps. That's why Terry Fontenot says you can make mistakes that way. Uh, When you can really laser target for needs is when you feel like you're one premium young player away and you don't have the cap space or the free agent class wasn't exactly attractive to you. Then you can go out and you can say, heck, uh, let's say that you're Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers and you feel like, look, we're going to give away all these draft picks and we're going to go get a quarterback because we're Mm -hmm. fine everywhere else. Then you can do those types of things. Um, and it takes a good evaluation of, of, of the roster to do that. So that's why I think that's important. That's why I think the Falcons may have gotten caught up in that needs thing that you're talking about because they were at the peak, right? They were at the Super Bowl. They were doing well. And you figure like, Oh, we're right there. If we can just get a right guard and a right tackle, we can bump back up, right? Then we're not going to keep falling. We're going to peak punch ourselves back up there. Well, it would better work, right? If that's how you're going to do it. So I, I definitely fall more on the, um, take the best player available. And two exceptions are, if you feel like you're one player away, the other exception is if you fall head over heels for a quarterback, then you throw all the rules out the window. Oh, you, you segued perfectly. (laughs) I had, that is one of my top topics and it's quarterback. Um, I have read many of your mailbags and Matt Ryan has come up on more than one occasion. Um, I will say you have uh, been uh, consistently on the side that Matt Ryan can be your quarterback at least through 2022 um, and is a quality quarterback that you should stick with for now. Obviously he's going to be 37 next year. Um, Quarterbacks don't play forever. Uh, Not every quarterback is Tom Brady could play into their forties. Um, you know, we, we've seen notable examples of guys who got close to 40 and, and you could argue their performance fell off and fans are thinking about that. I get it. Um, but what you just said from a draft standpoint, um, I am personally of the philosophy 
then when it comes to quarterback, this is where franchises can set themselves back five to eight years. And my philosophy is this. If you are not 100%, and I mean, I legitimately mean 100% in love with that quarterback as a, as a front office, as an organization, as a coaching staff. If you're not 100% in love with that quarterback, you believe he can be the next good, great franchise quarterback that could play for 10 plus years for you, that you're going to get to a second contract with him. Don't draft him. Yeah. We have seen so many teams that are constantly drafting in the top five. And I, I did an analysis of quarterbacks taken since 2009. Yeah, you did. And, I'm oh, so yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> the number of busts at quarterback that you see in the top five, not necessarily the first round, because you got to remember guys like Josh Allen, um, Patrick Mahomes, um, uh, Lamar Jackson, all taken outside the top five. Uh, but those guys in the top five, the bust rate would blow your mind. So wow. many guys have flamed out of the league. And, and I think a large part of that is teams felt they had to take a quarterback and they didn't necessarily wait to get the quarterback that they felt would be the guy. Where do you fall in that spectrum? Are you, are you with me or do you feel like there's a little bit of leeway there as opposed to my sort of hardcore philosophy? <laughs> I feel like there's no leeway whatsoever um, because if you're, if quarterback is your top need, you're in big trouble, right? Because mm -hmm. then you're going to take the one that's there. Uh, we talked a bit before the podcast started, kind of, a, you know, that you, you said when in, in your youth, you became a Falcons fan early and uh, had have a, a lot of experience with that. I grew up, as everyone knows, on the West Coast. I uh, was raised in San Diego and my early formative years were about the Chargers, right? So in my teenage years, the Chargers had an absolute fundamental need to get a quarterback in 1998. They traded all the way up to a passive position of number two, not number one, because they couldn't get the first pick, a passive position of number two. And they had to get a quarterback. They, were, they, were, they moved heaven and earth to get a quarterback. The first quarterback taken, Peyton Manning, he turned out okay. The second quarterback, we all know who the second quarterback is, right? Had to have a quarterback, traded the farm to get the quarterback. We're confident in their evaluation, obviously, or they wouldn't have done all that. They end up with Ryan Leaf. Talk yeah. about setting a, a, a franchise back. It set the franchise back a decade. Now, mm -hmm. Ryan Leaf is an, is, a, is an extreme example, right? Because at the time, he's done a lot to turn his life around, but at the time, he had a lot of issues going on that didn't help his career that ultimately flamed out as one of the most famous busts ever. I use that as a dramatic example of something that can be seen on a smaller level with like Blake Bortles, right? Or I've covered the Raiders, yeah. Marcus Russell, the guy wouldn't even yep. watch tape, right? That part of that is evaluation. Part of that is if you feel pressed into making those choices, if quarterback is your top need, Gosh, I'd rather go spend ten million on a Fitzpatrick type until I'm comfortable, right? Yeah. Even if it means my franchise isn't moving forward at the rate that some fans would like it to move forward, right? Because how how often do you and I both hear, well, the Falcons are behind because they're not developing Justin Fields or they're not de developing any quarterback <laughs> right now? That there's no logical succession plan. You hear that all the time. All the time. If uh, and if if Kenny Pickett goes. Uh, at nine, right, and then turns into 
uh, a top tier quarterback. Well, the Falcons screwed up because they could have started the clock on Kenny Pickett, right? Mm-hmm. That you have all these types of things. But if you're not head over heels in love, if you feel like you absolutely have to take a quarterback, you are in trouble right away. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that's a good recipe for how to build things up. You know, the other side of it, like what you were saying, is maybe you kind of need a quarterback. You you kind of don't. Okay, let's back up. Like, let's take the the Packers philosophy, right? Yeah. They had Favre, they draft Rod Rogers. They have Rogers. They drafted Brett Hundley, sort of high, and then mm-hmm. they had Rogers, and then they draft Jordan Love, right? That they're willing to make mistakes and see if they can get somebody. So it's if you have an established guy, you can do it that way, but you don't want it because you don't want to wait till you gotta get it right? So Peyton Manning retires on the Broncos and you got nothing and then you got to take somebody. So um, yeah, I I think it's a long winded way of saying I can understand it, but that's, that's a place you don't want to be. You do not want to need the quarterback first. Um, You oftentimes get in, as you pointed out, a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. uh, There's, you you brought up some of the, the key names, but there's so many that have gone like top two, top three, you know, Geno Smith, uh, I mean, the, the list just goes on and on. Guys who have flamed out, and, and you could argue uh, they were correctly drafted. You know, if you you look at the position. But uh, the other thing I, I think about when I think about quarterbacks is um, many of our listeners may not remember this name, but he was the first car to enter the NFL, yeah. and it this also influences my philosophy when it comes to quarterbacks. I, I think a lot of the teams bring on the philosophy that you have to get your quarterback first. I actually have a different philosophy and that is that the quarterback should be a later piece in building, in building up your roster. Um, And the quarterback, of course, I'm talking about is David Carr, who was taken first overall by the Houston Texans. Um, uh, For those who don't know, he, he basically spent two to three years getting absolutely pummeled behind uh, a completely worthless offensive line. He, he, he barely had talent around him and he quickly flamed out because uh, he spent his first few years having to run and scramble that he could never develop the timing that an NFL quarterback needs because he was under constant duress uh, to a ridiculous level. His, uh, his, all- first year, his first year, he was sacked dot, dot, dot 76 times. 76 I love, times. I love that you know that. I love that you know that. Oh my God. By comparison, Matt Ryan was sacked 40 times this year. Right. Almost twice as much. Yeah. That's a stupid amount. 76 is a bonkers number. Um, So along those lines, I actually think about when Matt Ryan came into the Falcons in 2008. He actually came into a team that had an established wide receiver in Roddy White. Um, They had a, a decent secondary receiver, Michael Jenkins. They had actually a very good offensive line and a veteran center in Tom McClure. Um, and they brought in a free agent running back by the name of Michael Turner to take some of the pressure off of that quarterback. When Matt Ryan came in, he did not have to be the center of the offense. All he had to do was get the ball out to Roddy White on third downs. Michael Turner was picking up yards on the ground because they had a, a good offensive line. I think it eased the transition into the NFL for Matt Ryan so that in his first two years in the league, they leaned on the running game. By the time he was ready to take over, he had the timing of the NFL game down. He had 32 games, 33, 34 games under his belt. And at that point, he was able to begin to take on more of a load. As Whereas nowadays, you see quarterbacks that are drafted, they immediately throw them in. 
they're put in there behind a, a porous offensive line. We saw that this this year with Justin Fields, the second worst as far as pressures were uh, in the NFL. We see it every year, and I see these quarterbacks that come in with no help. We've seen it with the Jets where you, you put a, a Sam Darnold in there. He has no one to throw to. Um, where do you stand in in when you're thinking about just say you're building a roster from scratch? Do you feel like you have to get the quarterback first, or do you feel like you need to have a support cast waiting for him? Do you feel like there's a mix there that needs to be balanced? I think, I think if it's possible, you need to build up the team around the quarterback. And that's why I keep saying much to some fans frustration that don't take a quarterback now, unless you're again, head over heels. That's always my caveat. Right, right. Build up the team around Matt Ryan. He's better with obviously a bigger, a better supporting cast and a better offensive line. And the next dude is going to be as well. Yeah. And the real logic that I don't understand is, well, go draft a mobile one because then the offensive line matters less. <laughs> you don't think they protect Kyler Murray? Like, you don't right. think that uh, the Ravens want to give Lamar a bunch of time to operate or Josh Allen doesn't have good offense? Yeah, like, that doesn't compute to me. It's not one or the other. And it's if you have the opportunity to build up the team around you, then that is the smart way to do it. What I liked about what you said earlier, because I brought up the Ryan Leaf example, and there was uh, somewhat of an issue with evalu- character evaluation maybe there. But most of the time, these guys taken in the upper five or 10, they've got talent. They mm-hmm. got the rocket arm or the accuracy or the mobility. And so much of it, comes down to your situation as well. Are you in a position to succeed? Do you have the coaches around you who can help you succeed? Do you have the players who can help you uh, succeed? Matt Ryan, as you brought up, was one of those top five guys brought into a good situation and was able to thrive. Let's say he's dropped into uh, Trevor Lawrence. There's no doubting Trevor Lawrence's talent and no one's calling Mm -hmm. him a bust after one year, but Trevor Lawrence had no chance. Yeah. This yep. year with, with Jacksonville, that offense is not entirely his fault. And, no. or you look at how many times have the jets drafted second with Darnold, even with Zach Wilson a bit this year, there's no talent around him. It's, it's a coaching staffs that maybe go in and out and can they survive and can they still thrive despite all those setbacks? Most of the time, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. In David Carr's example the answer is no. The reason why I know a lot about David Carr uh, is because I, I, I know Derek very well, right? Because I, I covered Derek when I covered the, the Raiders. He came in, he lost his first 10 games, was thrust into the limelight. Um, and the reason why I bring up that example is that he struggled the first year. And then the Raiders, um, who didn't anticipate him starting at the time, they went and they spent a cabillion dollars on offensive linemen. And guess what? They got better all pretty fast mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, and that's kind of how it works. But I definitely go, if you have, if you have the opportunity to give the quarterback the best chance to succeed, that's awesome. If you can't, and you can have a veteran quarterback who knows how to run the show, who knows how to operate and win you games, which is what the Falcons have right now, mm-hmm. then you can set up one of those best case scenario succession plans and you don't have to go through an awkward period of uh, ever-changing quarterbacks 
Yeah. Now, Manning to Luck is a very extreme example. Favre to Rodgers sure. is a very extreme example. But there are other examples. Um, Breeze to Rivers is not a bad one if we keep going into my background. But it, nonetheless, there are examples of it where you can get by without having that interim. Uh, we got to start Tyrod Taylor or Brian Hoyer this year, right? That yeah. if you set up your franchise right, you can do that. Um, yeah, it's a fun discussion. And I think the quarterbacks are particularly fascinating. When do you like, when's the best time to, to a take one and how can you put that guy in position to succeed? Cause I guarantee you that Brady Quinn and Tim couch and maybe even Blaine Gabbard, who's still in the league are probably sitting around wondering like, oh, if I just could have ended up on, I don't know, X team. Right. Yep. If, if I could have been given another opportunity with a team that was better set up, then I would be maybe not Rogers, but I would have been that guy with 10 years at, like as a starter, if I was given that opportunity and it, I don't think they're wrong, right? It, with quarterbacks, with you, you. got talent, you got to have the, the support staff coaching and players and teams that ignore that are always in trouble. Mm-hmm. Oh man. <laughs> I can geek out. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting chill bumped. Um, I love this conversation. I, I went to David Carr again, like you said, extreme example. Um, but it's, we've seen that happen multiple times and it is, that is more common than a Peyton Manning coming in and going three and 13, his first year, throwing over 30 interceptions and then turning the ship around in years two and three and becoming you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um, that is extremely, extremely hard to hit on in the NFL. Uh, I think there's this expectation that, oh, you, you draft a quarterback, he's going to be the next, you know, great Hall of Fame quarterback. And statistically, no, you won't. 153 quarterbacks have been drafted since 2009. 153 have been drafted. That doesn't even include free agents like Felipe Franks. 153 have been drafted. Three quarters, 75% of them are either out of the league or, or are poor quality marginal backups. 75%. That's, not, that's just guys that are gone. Wow. That is a, and that just tells you, like that position, you have so many opportunities to fail, <laughs> so which, is, which is also why I feel like when you have a good one, as long as you're not seeing a precipitous decline, um, I would rather ride a, a great quarterback out than give up too early. Uh, and I, I don't want to get too much into to Matt Ryan. I think you've answered that question about 14 billion times in your mailbag this year. Um, but I do want to move to the, the next point, And that is, Hold on, wait, wait. Be, before we do that, can we just tie up on the, the, the Matt Ryan thing? I, I think, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you and I agree that he should and has earned the opportunity and right to be the quarterback in 2022. But let's take the financing out of it for a second. We all know he has a huge cap number, a lot of dead money associated, very difficult to move, very difficult to restructure at this point. Um, But there are caveats to that. We all acknowledge that there needs to be a succession plan at some point. Um, We also acknowledge that there is a law of diminishing returns here, if you stay with it, at some point, you're going to have to make a tough decision. You, you yep. just are. And that it's uncomfortable for every team that goes through this. 
with somebody who means so much to the franchise. And the good teams are able to separate emotion at just the right time. Mm -hmm. So while I believe and you believe Matt Matt Ryan is a good quarterback and maybe you don't draft one this year, that doesn't mean that you let Matt Ryan play until he's ready to ride off into the sunset, right? No, 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 no. that, that, That you have to be able to set those things up and keep going back to it is that if you earmark somebody that's sitting there in your lap when you're ready to to draft as the next guy, then it doesn't matter that Matt Mm -hmm. Ryan's still there. You just still do it. So while, yes, I I think I've never been called Matt Ryan Homer and I'm not, but I I am, I'm a believer in, in him as a talent. I'm also a believer in, of the understanding that this can't go on forever. Right. So while I think you and I agree. Okay. 2022, that's a lot. 2023. uh, Okay. uh, Show me some more, right. That, Mm -hmm. that we still want to see more there that I don't, I just think it's important for fans to know, look, we're not blind to the fact that he, that, that he's in his late thirties. We're not blind to the fact that, Hey man, we saw some throws this year that were not good enough that could have given the Falcons a better chance to win. But Mm -hmm. understanding the scenario, the the landscape that we're talking about and what Terry Fontenot philosophically is trying to put through his brain about when is the time to execute the succession plan for all the reasons that we've been talking about, timing is as important as all of it. And timing will come into play. We don't think it's now, but it is soon. That's just, I I just want to get that clear. Yes. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you closed on that note because that, that is, uh, I have been accused of being a Matt Ryan homer, uh, having covered this team for 10 years um, and talking about them for about the same amount of time. And, you know, to some extent I am, but a part of that is informed by um, having watched many bad quarterbacks over the years. Exactly. Uh, but uh, I, I agree. Um, he is, he's in his late thirties. Uh, and like I said, it, it is, Tom Brady is not the standard for quarterbacks that like he is the exception to the rule. Most quarterbacks do not make it into their forties for a reason. Um, Usually the injuries pile up or the talent begins to fall off the physical talent. uh, And it's probably going to happen with Matt Ryan and he's going to be 37 in in May. Uh, And yeah, that clock is ticking. And, but to the conversation we had earlier, I also think um, you've got to make sure you nail that next quarterback. If you're going to put a draft, uh, you know, use one of your draft capital on a quarterback. Make sure it's a guy you believe um, can be the next guy, um, and not just someone that you're you're grabbing because you need a successor. Um, so I think we've co- sort of come full circle on mm-hmm. uh, the quarterback discussion. Um, sure. But I'm glad I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, I do want to circle back to the draft because you mentioned premium positions, mm-hmm. and I think. That is a very interesting conversation to me. Um, I have a view of what the premium positions are. I think a lot of people in the Falcons past um, in this, this first draft class under Fontenot and Smith would have argued that they used a top five pick on a non-premium position. Mm-hmm. I, I have some quibbles with that argument. But in your mind, what are the positions that you think are the premium ones, the ones that if that guy is there in, in the first round and you think he's BPA, you use that pick, even if you already have talent at that position. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I just wrote it down while you were talking uh, and, it, <laughs> and, it, and it happened very quickly. Uh, I, I'd say, I mean, quarterback is obviously one that's right. kind of in its own category. 
But outside of that, edge rusher, mm-hmm. show-stopping interior lineman, meaning an interior lineman that can get to the quarterback, yep. uh, cornerback, cornerback, wide receiver, offensive tackle. Those are the ones that rattle off the top of my head that maybe generally have, have more value um, than the others. Yep. So those are the ones that I had. Yeah, I, 100%. And I, I sort of think of pass rusher as being both exterior and interior pass sure. rushers like an an Aaron Donald deserves to go in the top five. Right. Um, <laughs> deserves to get number one, frankly. Um, and yeah, so I would say, uh, like you said, quarterback is sort of number one in, in its own category. Um, pass rusher, guy that can get after quarterback, uh, cornerback, uh, having a great corner in coverage. We saw what AJ Terrell did this year and see how much of a difference that can make on the bad defense. Um, and then I would argue that uh, outside of kicker and punter, <laughs> those caveats, a generational player at another position. Yes. Um, and I think that is the exception with the Falcons in this past draft class. When they took a tight end in Kyle Pitts, um, I think they viewed it as them taking a generational player at that position. And when I say generational player, I mean a guy that in 10 years, you're not going to see another player come out that's going to be like him. He is going to stand on his own. Uh, he will have true Hall of Fame potential uh, as far as his all of his physical traits. Obviously, the guys have to get out there and play. We get that. Um, you know, I think like a Randy Moss, a Calvin Johnson, they are generational players, guys that transform the position. Um, an Adrian Peterson. You know, mm-hmm. I am not a fan of taking running backs in the first round, but if you told me I was getting the next Derrick Henry or the next Adrian Peterson, the conversation changes a little bit. Sure. Um, so I, I feel like that is a key caveat in this conversation is if you get a guy that when a defensive corner wakes up in the morning and the first thing he thinks about is that guy on that, that other side of the field, you've got a generational player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue, and I, I think it's, I think we saw signs of it that Kyle Pitts is going to be one of those guys. So, um, you're good with that caveat. Do you think the generational player is, is an important one there? Yeah, I absolutely do. Especially if you're drafting in that top 10 area, there are certain spots where I'm like, gosh, would I ever take a guard in the top 10? Like, like, yeah. like, like he'd have to be part dinosaur, right? Like he just, like, <laughs> just apart. Uh, but, uh, but yes, that is an absolute caveat. And I agree with the Kyle Pitts example of why that's okay. Um, and I think that, have you noticed that every time that we that, that we talk about these, that that we have general team building rules to live by, and they're correct. But mm-hmm. every time we've said, okay, but here here's our little asterisks, right? Yeah. And people always forget the asterisks, man. <laughs> that that like you you come in with this general uh, philosophy of these are the premium spots. Uh, no, Kyle Pitts doesn't play pass rusher, cornerback, wide receiver, quarterback, tackler, <laughs> right? So then he's out. No, no, you forgot the asterisks, bro. Like, mm-hmm. don't forget that. Because if you do, at each one of these levels, quarterback or these other <coughs> premium spots, that's when you get in trouble, right? When you forget mm-hmm. about the exceptions. And that's why I think it's important to remember that there. Because if you keep hitting on things, right? If you go out and you nail a really good wide receiver, the next Julio Jones type. I don't know if you can get lucky enough to ever uh, strike that type of gold twice. And then you got 
a young Julio type, right? Just as an example, right? And then you got pits and you nail on some of these other skill positions. Then you can like look back and be like, oh man, like how are they ever going to stop the Falcons, right? That, that when you add him to other things right now, he's that maybe not the first piece, but he's like an, he's an early piece. And if you keep hitting, then that early piece is really going to pay off for you. Yeah. So generational talent, uh, 100%. Okay. I, like I said, I could go for hours. I'm, I'm doing a condensed, I'm looking at my notes on the other screen. I'm doing like a condensed version. There's a billion topics I've, I have sort of glossed over, but that I will I mean, give you short answers. I think <laughs> put me on a clock. Ready? Go. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, highly recommend the, the fun whistle podcast. Incidentally, alcoholic podcast listeners. Um, we're going to, Keep this conversation going. I want to talk about the draft, what you do with draft picks, trading draft picks. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight, we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay snack It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay snack bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by Scott Beer of AtlantaFalcons.com. We are talking about general team building philosophies. We've talked about a lot already, but I feel like there's about 1,400 hours left to, to go through this. I'm sure that GMs across the league feel like, oh, you guys are only scratching the surface right now. Um, all right, draft picks. This one, I think, is a sensitive issue for Falcons fans. Um, Thomas Dimitrov, um, yeah, obviously his first draft with the Falcons, he nailed the most important position. He got, you know, first round pick, Matt Ryan got that right. That's going to buy you a lot of grace as a GM when you get the quarterback right. Uh, however, one thing that became sort of synonymous with Thomas Dimitrov and his time with the Falcons, uh, and we've seen this from other GMs, um, is a tendency to move up in the draft board. And that generally means giving away draft capital in day two and day three to do that. Uh, and of course, we all remember, Falcons fans remember the 2011 blockbuster move where multiple first round picks were given up. Uh, the Falcons ultimately in 2012 didn't have a first round pick because they gave it up to move up and get Julio Jones. And, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about generational players. I think you could argue Julio was a generational player at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, but, and this is something I've argued in the past. Uh, it's not necessarily bad to trade up, but if you do, you cannot miss 
on the picks that you have left. If you mm-hmm. only have a second round pick, a fourth round pick, and a sixth round pick because you traded the rest away, you cannot miss on those picks. You have to find guys that are going to be contributors, they're going to be depth, they're going to be starters even. Uh, and I think that is where, you know, if you look at the Falcons roster and how it started to decline over time, um, those trade ups were detrimental to the franchise as a whole. Where do you stand? Um, from a again a, a roster building standpoint on the idea of uh, trading up or even trading down for draft picks, how do you feel about that entire conversation? Not a fan of going up. I'm mm. really not a fan of going up when you're in the Falcons position as they are now because they need so much right now. So you need as many uh, swings at the plate as you can get because you're not going to bat a thousand. You may not even bat. If you hope you bat 500, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Um, but I'm not a big fan of, of trading up again, unless you are laser targeting a, either a, maybe a truly generational talent, or if you feel like you're one thing away, Yeah, if you feel like you're one thing away, then you move heaven and earth to try to get that. Now, this is like an old school traditionalist mentality from a GM who likes to, you know, let's say I've been around GMs who, who like to draft. They're confident in themselves. They want picks, picks, picks. They want to flesh out that depth chart. Mm-hmm. And then um, there are some teams like you look at, like at the Seahawks, they're constantly trading out of the first round. They're constantly trading down. The Rams are giving away they seem to have less value in first round picks than they do in established veterans. There's the odds of Jalen Ramsey busting out, even if you have to pay him a bunch of money, a lot less than somebody that you pick out of college. Yep. Um, and that's a different philosophy. One that I always feel like your, your, your toes are gripping the edge of the cliff, <laughs> right? You never know when it's all going to fall out. Um, but I believe that, when you're trying to build a team, we're talking about building a team up and roster construction. When you need that, you need more swings. I'm not a fan of going from eight to 28. Yeah. But I am a fan of going from eight to 16, right? Or seeing if you can find those, if you can pick up a third round pick here or third round pick there, you have another... Fred Warner was a third round pick. You have mm-hmm. another chance at getting lucky and not like not getting lucky, but finding that type of player in the lower rounds. If you give yourself more opportunities to do so um, that said, right. Just cause you have a bunch of high picks, like, like let's say you trade, like go back to the Raiders, right? You trade all those assets and then you end up with Josh Jacobs, just okay. Henry Ruggs, not on the team. Damon Arnett, not on the team. Jonathan Abram, just a guy. Why do we give away Cooper and Mac, man? Right? Yeah. So um, in terms of the trade-up, I really don't like it because the cost of trading up is so high these days. It's yeah. so high. Um, the, and trading down, I think, is a better opportunity because you're playing the percentages. And that's not a bad thing. So... I said I was going to give you shorter answers, and then I didn't. Trade up, <laughs> hit the buzzer, trade down. Yeah, okay. Like now, like let me see what you got. The problem is, is that uh, here's another Raiders example that's Falcons related. So th- they had uh, the number 19 pick and the number what 12 pick, right? And th- they took Rugs at 12, 
and they were in love with AJ Terrell. Oh my gosh, like sending Valentines and stuff. Okay. Loved him. <laughs> Crossed their fingers thinking he was going to be there at 19, right? Because there were still other quote unquote analysts evaluated X guy above Terrell that went below Terrell. When, uh, when, at least by what I was told, right? When Terrell went 16, it was like, kid, right? Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That it was, the, it was one of those types of moments. So you can play with the board or you can think you know what's coming. You wait for your guy. So what, what I'm saying is let's say you trade from eight to 12 thinking my guy's still going to be there. Well, mm -hmm. what if he's not? And then you don't get the opportunity to take who you want. So uh, high stakes game, man. Yeah. Uh, those guys get paid the big bucks. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do like what you said, though, about having multiple chances in the mid rounds, because I think that's, you know, the chances of you every single year finding that gem in the rough uh, is is low, you know, just statistically, there's 32 teams, they're all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to find that guy who's slipped through the cracks for whatever reason, injury history, uh, poor senior season. Um, you know, poor bowl game, whatever it is, it knocks that player down the board. They're they're all eyeing these guys. All the GMs in the league are looking at these guys thinking, ah, maybe I can get him in the late second. Maybe I'll get him in the third. You can't pull it off every single year. But if you have multiple bites at the apple in, in those day two picks, day two, uh, second, third round, even fourth round, when you've got multiple picks in those rounds because you've stockpiled those picks over time, either through comp picks by letting, you know, uh, free agents walk, uh, or by trading down, as you just mentioned, um, you stand a better chance. You stand a better chance of getting a Russell Gage in the sixth round, of getting a Foyer Luakun in the sixth round, um, because you have multiple picks in the sixth round or in the fifth round. You know, they got Grady Jarrett in the fifth round. Um, you stand those chances better when you have multiple picks. Like, like that's, I, I, I could say it over and over, but um, we, we've seen, uh, you know, the Falcons specifically just whiff on those day two and day three picks. And as you mentioned at the very top, man, those are the guys that fill out the roster. Those are the guys that when someone goes down to injury and they will go down to injury, it is like the only certainty in the NFL mm -hmm. um, is injury. When they go down to injury, do you have someone lined up that is a quality backup? And um, I remember beginning of the season, and I think you said it perfectly when you're sort of, talking about the Falcons roster. And I felt you, you hit, the, uh, hit it on the nose. You said, this roster can compete as long as they stay healthy. Like, mm -hmm. they're so thin. So thin. And we saw that. We saw, like, Isaiah Oliver goes down. Boom. You're rotating rookies in at that slot corner position. Um, and, you know, you lose Calvin Ridley, obviously, to different circumstances. And, and the wide receiver depth gets exposed really quickly. Mm -hmm. that depth is built on day two and three um, yeah. hitting on those guys. All right. Um, we only have 1400 other topics to go. Okay. 1399. We, tick, tick, tick. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just go right down the list. <laughs> um, all right. I've heard this come up a lot and I'm of two minds on this one, but there are a lot of people that think um, scheme versus players. One school of thought says um, draft talent and build your scheme around the talent that you have. And another school of thought says um, you have your scheme, you know what you're looking for, find the guys that fit that best. And 
I've seen both play out. And I've actually seen both play out with, uh, you know, different levels of success. Do you lean towards one or the other? Do you feel like it's going to depend on the roster that you have and the coaches that you have? I, I think it's mostly seen on defense when you go, it's not, it's never this simple, but when you go from a three, four to a four, three or vice versa, mm-hmm. when you change your base defense and you're, you look at guys in your defensive front or you change your coverage philosophy uh, I don't know, from man to zone, if you want to be really simple with it, or you change your offensive line from a zone blocking scheme to a power gap, power, right? Yep. Those like you need different guards for those things. Right. And if you, and if you, and I've seen a transition with a zone guard, who's now trying to operate a power scheme, it doesn't work. No, right? it doesn't. And it sometimes doesn't work when you have, a press man corner who's now asked to play cover three every down, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't work either. So I am more on the side of scheme fit. And I'm sure the Falcons aren't the only team to do this. But since, again, since we're falconizing, when when, uh, Tori, Chris, and I were talking to a bunch of the um, scouts right below Terry Fontenot for our Meet Scout series, one of the things that Steve Sabo, director of uh, their pro director, who has been director of player personnel for them as well, uh, he said that, when Arthur Smith and his position coaches came in that they gave a briefing to the scouts, both the pro scouts and the guys for college be like, look, if you've got, and Kyle Smith was talking about this with me too. Look, if you have a guy who's so far and away a better talent, okay, then, then you go to that. But your baseline is you need to find guys that fit guys that fit character of your locker room, guys that have skill sets of your um, scheme right? Because like an outside linebacker versus a standard like defensive end, that those are different requirements. You need a bigger yeah. body in one spot. You need a bigger body in the other one. Um, I wrote a bit about this in the, in the mailbag on Monday about what Dean Pease is looking for, right? So I, I, I think I side more on get the skill sets that are required for your scheme, especially if you're committed to the schemes that you're, that you're implementing now. So, and especially for the Falcons, right? They need different types of players than they had for Dan Quinn's scheme. So, yeah, I think that's why I side a bit more on, on that one. It may be my shortest answer yet. Still too long, but we're working <laughs> on it. Oh, uh, no, you're good, man. Um, these, these questions deserve thoughtful answers, and you're giving them. You're giving them. All right. Um, offensive line. I yeah. love talking about offensive line. And... Uh, it's funny, Gina and I, last time we were at camp together, uh, we were, it wasn't the last time, it was one of the times, we were watching a rookie um, come in at the time by the name of Jake Matthews, and we were watching the drills. And it's funny, at, at one point, I, I, I pointed over, and I think there was an older veteran, uh, Gabe Camarimi, I think it was. And they were just doing, you know, simple uh, pass blocking drills. And I, I looked at G and I said, look at Gabe. He can't, he can't sink his hips. He's too stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, those little details on the offensive line matter really passionate about it, but I've got a philosophy and this one is interesting because I think the Falcons broke it this year. <laughs> uh-huh. And that is um, you never want to have two first time starters on the offensive line next to each other. I think, I think you can have, multiple first-time starters, but you need to have guys who have started for at least two or three years sort of in between them, bookends. Um, And I think where 
the Falcons got really disrupted early on was having essentially a first-time starter in Matt Hennessy at center and Jalen Mayfield. And I, I think we could argue that the plan was not for Mayfield to be that guy. Like Josh Andrews was lined up to be the starter until he broke his, well, he broke his thumb in the first week of practice. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think their intention was to do that. But my, my thinking here is um, usually when you see two young guys on the offensive line, that pairing is almost always susceptible to pass rushing stunts and they are susceptible to it for a while. It, it, defensive coordinators love those pairings of two young guys together because they, they exploit it. They exploit the fact that there's no timing between them. The communication isn't happening the way it should. Uh, and I think we saw that, you know, this year with the Falcons, it got, I think it got better over time, but um, just one of my philosophies on offensive line. One other that I want to throw by, and I'm going to hit you with, this is a big, long question. Okay, um, right. The other one was watching the Saints when they had Drew Brees at his peak. They had offensive tackles that were okay. They weren't like the best in the league. They were decent guys. This was before Teron Armstead and, and whatnot. But they had two guards that did not allow pressure up the middle. Mm -hmm. um, and I am a firm believer. It does not matter who the quarterback is. It could be Patrick Mahomes. We saw – Last Super Bowl, what happens when you pressure a quarterback up the middle of, of the offensive line, they can be the most athletic quarterback in the league. That is the most difficult pressure for a quarterback to overcome. Yeah. I think offensive guard, um, you have to put uh, a strong emphasis on their ability to pass block, maybe even more so than the tackles, because at least with the, the offensive tackles, you can provide some help. You know, you can provide chips, you can provide tight ends to come in and uh, double down on on you know good pass rushers, but those offensive guards are often by them by themselves. Um, where do you fit in this conversation? What in, if you're thinking about building an offensive line? Uh, how do you feel about some of those points? And do you have a philosophy there of what that should look like? You know, I I never thought about the don't have two first time starters together because you're vulnerable to a lot of things, right? Especially mm -hmm. with it like with a center that was is still learning his responsibilities, then you can get into some real trouble. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is that jo Josh Andrews, he just didn't work out. Curse the left guard continues um, at right. least for a little while, yeah. right? That And that's why maybe even if you have Jalen Mayfield, you go out and you get another one. Um, I've been around a lot of good centers in my day, and they're not a premium position, and they don't get paid like – they're getting paid like them more now than ever before. But I, I think having a good communicator, having somebody who knows that, that everybody talks about the left tackle as the anchor of your offensive line. I think the mm -hmm. anchors in the middle. Yeah. Yep. Um, the Falcons were so lucky to have Alex Mack for so long mm -hmm. that it's one of those things that you, especially for an alignment that you take for granted when it's there all the time. It's just, it was, it's a point of security. And uh, I think that that's one of my philosophies is don't forget about the guy in the middle. <laughs> maybe he doesn't take on a lot of one-on-one -on -one blocks and maybe he doesn't get outside as much or into the second level as much as some of these guards that are more well-known. Um, but I think that that's a real cornerstone. You need a real academic in that spot and a guy mm -hmm. that knows how to fit and be precise so I would say that is one thing. And while it's cliche, it is no joke, man. Continuity is king. Yes. So, for, so and, and that brings up two points. One, invest 
in your offensive line. And two, which is, which is a Falcons problem now, you do not want to have to reinvest quickly mm. in your offensive line because then you don't get the continuity. And I think the Falcons have to reinvest. Right now, they have three first-round yeah. picks. Correct me if I'm wrong. A third-rounder in Mayfield and a fourth-rounder in Hennessy, I think. Correct. Yep. Anyway, everybody above the fourth round, right? Um, and I, I think that when you have to reinvest – a, you ruin the continuity that's built over years, not weeks. And then you have to take a valuable asset that you just used before the rookie deal is out and you got to use it again. Yeah. That's a killer because you got so many other things to address, right? Um, and I think that that's another one of those issues. And when that's a tough thing to fill from a free agency standpoint, especially right tackle now, it's very in vogue to pay right tackles a, a bunch of money. Getting you expensive. Can't like, yeah, it gets really expensive if you miss. Yeah. And that's a real problem. That's not Terry Fontenot's fault. And I don't want to just blame Thomas for every issue under the sun because that's not fair either. Right. right? But I, I do think that those are my two. I like your two. Let's add center is your center is your cornerstone and invest, but don't reinvest. That's where you get in trouble. Yeah. God, man, I love it. I love it. Uh, I'll add this to center because I'm okay. 100% with you. Uh, if you're going to have a rookie quarterback, you cannot afford to have an inexperienced center. Under no circumstances. That's right. a good one. Yeah. Um, I, if, you're, if you've got a veteran quarterback like a Matt Ryan, you can, you can probably afford to put a Matt Hennessy in center if you think he's got the upside to grow into that role. But centers need time to grow into that role as well. They don't start off as Alex Mack. Um, right. you know, they can become that guy over time. But to get an Alex Mack, a guy who is a top center for his entire career, you know, top three, top four center for his entire career, you do draft those guys, you know, sort of in the back end of, of round one um, and sometimes in the middle of the first round these days. But, yeah, I, I think you cannot have two young guys, both at quarterback and center, to, to sort of add to, you know, what you put out there. Because I think that, to your point, that communication, how important they are to the stability of the offensive line, um, Man, I, I feel like that would be – I don't want to see that happen. That's going to probably be really ugly. Actually, did the Jaguars have a young center? I'm going to have to go check that because that, yeah. maybe that's part of the problem with uh, what's going on with Jacksonville as well. Yeah, because when Alex Mack was here, he would just make the calls. And yes. then as they would never really said it directly, but my impression was was that Matt Hennessy would, would make the calls and then Matt Ryan would be – over the top to make sure everything was correct, right? Mm -hmm. And it may be a bit more involved than he would have been uh, with a veteran. But yeah, ha having rookie rookie there can get you into um, a lot of trouble. And if you look at the Falcons offensive line, they had a couple of different issues there, right? They had young center, they had, and then no continuity thing because Mayfield wasn't even playing left guard for most of the, most of the yeah. summer. So yeah. you, you've got compounded issues there. Um, and the bottom line is, is that we saw improvement and growth with the offensive line and in a lot of different areas. I, I think where they came into issue was against, and this isn't unique to any one position group, but in general, when they dealt with upper tier, like a 15 and above, when their talent base wasn't close to being equal on paper, then all these things got exposed, which just goes to show us schemes are good. Okay. Um, the, the, the culture being established is good. Now, how do you build up the talent base? So when mm -hmm. you go toe to toe against 
one of these teams that you don't have to beat every time, but you got to go 500, right? Mm -hmm. And you definitely can't go over. Um, then that's how you become competitive. And that's, I think, why this conversation is so important because that's where we are. Now we're at the point where, okay, well, like we've established some of these baseline things, some of these foundational things. Now you have to take it up to the next level. And that's how you improve this team is by what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh my goodness, we have, we have run this one long and I've got so many other things I want to talk about. Um, in a three-part series. I <laughs> know. Uh, that's what we need. <laughs> we need to divide this one up, man. Uh, yeah, this, I, like I said, completely geek out over these conversations. I want to hit you with one more because you just touched on it. And it's one of my favorite points about scheme and talent. Um, I have a philosophy. I want to put this out there for you. But uh, first of all, I, I don't think there's any scheme in the world that can overcome poor talent, period. Um, but I will say, I think if you were looking at players on a, on a tier on five tiers, you know, one being the poorest tier five being, you know, guys who are perennial pro bowlers, all pros, hall of famers, um, a great coach can, you know, the best coaches in the league can only lift a player one tier up from where their talent is at. So if you've got a, a player that's at tier three under most coaches in the league, um, he's probably going to play at that tier three level. You know, average player, he's that's probably where he's going to peak out. The great coaches can maybe pull him up to tier four, where you get a, a good, you know, reliable, uh, consistent starter, whether that's the way that you scheme, the way they coach these guys up. But I don't think you ever see a three become a five. You know, they don't jump two levels. They could, at best, they move up one level. And you can see poor coaches that will actually pull guys down a level, where you see a three looks like a two under the, in the wrong scheme, under poor coaching. Um, so, we always get in this conversation with, with Falcons fans and it's like, well, the scheme should overcome. And it's, and then other people say, well, it's all about the talent. And in my mind, it's both. It's about finding the talent. You've got to get at least, you've got to get your talent level at least to a three. If you give your coach nothing but twos and he is the best coach in the world, you're still only going to get average performance because he's being held back by a subpar roster. Um, where do you fall? We're going to use this as the last question. Cause I feel like this is, there's, this is actually very much where the Falcons are at now. I think we're, you know, I think Arthur Smith is capable of doing a lot of good things. We saw it in Tennessee. That was not a fluke what he did in Tennessee for two years. Um, Dean Pease has a long history of having excellent defenses. That is not a fluke. Um, I think that it's the combination of the two, but where do you fall Scott in that conversation of talent and scheme? Yeah, I, I think this conversation pits NFL fans versus college fans sometimes, right? Because there are certain schemes in college point. where you're in the shotgun, you got five wide, the offensive line just stands somebody up, and then you get it to one of these options that are going to be open in that at that talent level, right? That there are certain – I don't even want to call them gimmick schemes, but there are certain uh, things. I mean, even go back to how do you cover – like. Uh, Georgia Tech did it for a while. Air Force does it all the time. Okay, if we, if we don't have the talent base to compete, uh, let's run the triple option and we're going to get 10 yards in three plays, right? Yeah. That those are the times when scheme can help a lower level of talent, right? You see all the examples I used were college teams. I'm thinking Texas <laughs> Tech, right? Like the Red Raider, what, like the Red, I can't, Air Raid, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. You know, you think of, 
the triple option, right. Or the wing T or something that, that, that your high school kid may run. Um, but I, and there's very rare, you, you see philosophies come up to this level, but the reason why I'm saying all that is everybody's going to figure out the wildcat, right? Eventually people are going to figure out the RPO and all these schemes yep. that, or, or the, the pistol, right? Pistol was really hip. And then defensive coordinators tone that down a little bit, except for trans, trans, trans and transcending talent. I can't figure out the other conjugation of that one. Nonetheless, <laughs> so that's what I think the big difference is, right? Uh, that's why when it comes down to it, and I think the issues that we saw with the Falcons over the course of that large sample is that, and there can be bad schemes, but nonetheless, I think the scheme is good. The talent base will outweigh it. Dean Pease, right? Who could say, check out the Super Bowl rings, man. I'm good. My, like my, 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 my playbook is like an underbridge dictionary. Okay. There's a lot of plays in there that are good. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, uh, you know, those types of things. He said at the end of the year, when he was asked by Tori McElhaney, great interviewer, she asked, um, what do you need to help you execute your scheme? And he didn't say, I need a big bodied nose tackle. And I need this, I need a, you know, I need a five technique that's six, five and two ninety five and runs a blank. Right. He said, I need pass rushers that I don't have to call a pressure to get them home to the quarterback. And I need guys who can play man coverage, right? Mm. Those two things, what he's asking for is more athletes. That's what he's yep. asking for. He's Period. asking for more athletes. So in the talent thing, right, you've got this good proven scheme that's won Super Bowls, okay? It didn't win a Super Bowl this year. It wasn't a – if you look at Dean P's scoring defense record over the course of his career as a coordinator, astonishing, almost mm-hmm. always top 10. Because he had the scheme and he was lucky enough with the Patriots and the Ravens and even the Titans to have the horses. Mm -hmm. And I think what he was telling the world is, I don't have the horses, right? (laughs) Which is true, but that's, I I think he answered your question better than I could have, right? That's like, that's proof of you got a good scheme. You have a respected coordinator with Super Bowl rings. What does he need? He needs talent. He doesn't need to change the scheme around it. He had guys, he was trying to help guys as much as he could. He was trying to mix and match, but at some point at this level, you just need more talent, right? Um, And at some point you need bigger and faster and stronger. And the Falcons need to get bigger and faster and stronger at every level. So when it comes to team building, I'm sure when he gets involved in the NFL draft process, I'm sure Terry Fontenot uh, is very good at what he does. He see in Kyle Smith, and Anthony Robinson, they all see the same thing. Let's go mm-hmm. get this roster uh, some more talent and a deeper level of talent. And there you have it. That That is the number one point, I think, going into March, going into free agency, going into April and in the draft process, and then uh, the second free agency wave, which is during uh, training camp in the, in the preseason, um, this I love, I love all of this. This is a, a fun time of year. These conversations are hard to have during the season. Um, Scott, I, again, I could talk with you for three hours, buddy, but I don't think our podcast listeners would, would, would uh, would tolerate that. God knows they don't want to hear from me. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. Um, 
you know, maybe we'll, we'll continue this at some point here in the near future. And I, I definitely want to have you back on uh, to talk about other things as we go into, you know, your first off season, uh, your first full off season with the Falcons. Um, on that note, tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on as there kind of has been uh, for a while now. You can find me on Instagram, Tori McLaney and Chris Rim are forcing me to join the <laughs> platform. Put those youngsters. Yeah, those, those whippersnappers. Um, <laughs> they, uh, so at Scott Bear NFL on Instagram and Twitter, it exists on Facebook too, but I don't know how much you're going to get there. Uh, so we, uh, we've got all that going and I don't think it's too early to say, but we're, uh, we've got some reviews and projections about uh, the entire rookie class and each position and who they should sign and who they shouldn't and all those baseline levels of the off-season plan. Then we got a couple other things. One thing is going to be called, I think it's called Road to the Draft, Path to the Draft. Nonetheless, we're, we're going to be with you. Talk about team building. We're going to nerd out on team building all off-season long to the point <laughs> that we're going to be with the Falcons – uh, and they're people from the senior bowl to the combine to pro days all the way back around. And you're going to see a full three-dimensional picture of why and how the Falcons choose, chose who they chose. Um, and nice. we're going to break down the needs of it. We're going to pull back the curtain at times, and it's going to be a fun thing to follow. In addition to a bunch of other things, it's going to be a fun thing to follow. All three of us are going to be involved with it. And we're going to do the same thing with free agency, man. I uh, got some cool stuff. Uh, Tori McElhaney is our torchbearer when it comes to the free agency side. Chris Room and I are spending more time on the draft. And I think uh, look forward to a lot of good stuff coming up in February, March, and April. Um, yeah, for those who are listening, uh, I hope you guys know I'm a straight shooter. Um, and I got to I gotta tell you, uh, I love, personally, love the coverage that Scott and Tori and Chris have been uh, putting up at AtlantaFalcons.com this year. Um, I have not said that a lot in the past. Uh, it is a credit to Scott and his team, a very good team, that they have been doing such a phenomenal job. If you guys don't go there, you should go there. Uh, you should listen to the Final Whistle podcast, which I do each uh, Sunday. And they're going to continue starting on the 24th. We're going to do there you go. additions as well. Perfect. Um, so highly recommend it. Scott's done a fantastic job. You guys support him and Tori and Chris and uh, show them love uh, on the social medias. All right. As for me, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And, of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Scott Bear from AtlantaFalcons.com, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.